On today's episode of Perfectly Imperfect, I have the pleasure of having a conversation with domestic violence survivor Tawana P. Harris, who is also the founder and executive director of the Butterfly Society. She's a mom, she's a wife, she's a beautiful person inside and out. And I can't wait for you to hear this conversation where she shares her story, how she found herself as a victim of domestic violence for three years, how she got out and how she founded the Butterfly Society and her mission and her vision for the future of this organization. As you listen, I also want to share the statistics on domestic violence, which are very alarming. But first, I want to tell you, if you are experiencing some kind of domestic violence and you find yourself with no way out, you just you can't see a way out. I just want you to know that you're enough. I want you to know that you have to reach out to someone, talk to someone, share what you're experiencing, pray for for someone to be there to help you. Like Tawana, you're going to hear her story. She had a cousin who listened, who helped her out, who offered, you know, her place. She had angels at work, you know, women and men that offered to help her out. And it's because she opened up. She was afraid. She was ashamed. But you know what, all that, the power from those kind of feelings were taken away the minute she started opening up her mouth and she shared what she was experiencing. And God was able to help her out through these wonderful people who were able to, you know, help her get out of the situation she was in that she saw no way out of. So I want you to know that you are enough, that you are beautiful inside and out, that you are deserving of respect of true love of love without pain physical emotional pain yes love can be a little painful but not in that way i promise you and you have to get out because life is too freaking short for us to be just existing and not thriving not living our life so i just want to encourage you to reach out to whoever you can to do whatever you can today to get out of that situation that you're in if you're someone that is experiencing domestic violence at this moment and then for those of you that are not i want you to do whatever it is that you can to help someone or to be you know listening ear at the end of our conversation to want to share the things that we can do you know, to help end domestic violence, to help someone that's in, you know, in a situation at home and, you know, as part of domestic violence. So I just want you to listen and do whatever it is that you can to help out. Now, some of the statistics that I was reading that were extremely alarming is number one in the United States, an average of 20 people experience intimate partner physical violence every minute every minute that equals to more than 10 million abuse victims annually one in four women and one in nine men experience domestic violence one in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner one in seven women and one in 25 men have been injured by an intimate partner one in 10 women have been raped by an intimate partner and the data for the men uh in this category is not available. On a typical day, domestic violence hotlines receive over 20,000 calls. One in three female murder victims and one in 20 male murder victims are killed by intimate partners. And females ages 18 to 24 and 25 to 34 generally experience the highest rates of intimate partner violence. This is crazy. This is unacceptable. This is 
you know, I don't know about you, but it makes me angry. It makes me upset because although I've never experienced domestic violence, you know, I do know people that have, and it's it's very painful and hurtful, not only to them, but their children. And it's just, it's not okay. Um, I read some statistics on teen, like on dating abuse. And that was super scary to me. I have a daughter, I have sons, I have, you know, kids that I love. I have cousins and nieces and nephews that I absolutely adore that I would never want to see experience anything like this. But we have to do something to end it now. You know, we have to raise that awareness so they know what domestic violence, what dating violence looks like. And the fact that it's not okay, the fact that they don't deserve it, the fact that love does not equal domestic violence, that love does not have to be physically painful, emotionally painful, that love is something beautiful and wonderful. And that, yes, there's growing pains along the way, but not the kind of pain that comes with domestic violence. So let's raise awareness. Let's have this conversation with the youth, with the young ladies, young men, um, kids that we love because, you know, if we don't, we one day might need to have a different kind of conversation. So I hope that you enjoy this episode and share it with your friends, share it with the family, because again, we have to raise awareness about domestic violence. Welcome back and thanks so much for listening to another episode of Perfectly Imperfect. This is your host, Leslie Regalado, and you're listening to a show where we believe that being perfectly imperfect is okay. And actually, we believe it's pretty darn great. In hopes of serving you and others, I'll be sharing about all things life, all things that we might experience at one point in our lives, because although it might seem like we're sometimes all alone, especially during our toughest seasons, we're not. I'll also be having conversations with other perfectly imperfect humans whose stories might just inspire you to go out there and live the heck out of your life. That is my prayer for you today and every day. And like Dr. Seuss said, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. I've been looking forward to this all week. I'm excited to be with you and your audience. And it's such an honor and a pleasure and a blessing to for this opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. I know it took us a little while to be able to jump on with all this crazy technical issues, but I appreciate your patience and um, the fact that we're able to, you know, get this recording going. So um, I would love for you to introduce yourself, to share a little bit about you, Tawana, and um, yeah, and then kind of get into into just sharing your story, um, because I know I was touched by it when I first read about it, because we've never met. We've talked one time prior to today, and just when I read it, um, you know, you being a domestic violence survivor and what you did with that experience and what you're doing for others was to me very inspiring. And then when I heard a little bit about your story, I was, you know, it was just a shock to me that, you know, what you experienced and the fact that you came out on the other side, not only did you survive, but you're thriving and you're helping others and you're blessing so many people. So just a little bit about you um, and then just about the organization that you um, founded. 
Okay. I'm Tawana Harris, founder and executive director of the Butterfly Society. I'm also a legislative assistant to Councilman Lamont Cole, District 7. So I'm in politics as well. Oh, wow. uh, I'm married to a wonderful man. We've been married for 16 years. We've been together 21 years. We have a 14-year-old son, and they're my biggest cheerleaders. Um, they mm -hmm. support this work that I'm doing. They know that I'm passionate about it. I'm committed to it. And um, it's a reason for what we're doing. Um, the reason I got into this, this work, uh, this cause became a part of my life because I was a victim of domestic abuse uh, 25 years ago as a college student. And um, I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put a label on it, uh, but I knew within me that it wasn't a great place to be in. Um, I was one who was outgoing, loved life, loved people. I was a leader within my own right. Uh, had big dreams and goals, and uh, I knew I had purpose for being here. And uh, one day that was all taken from me. Um, I met this guy who was charming. He said all the right things. He was a gentleman. He was perfect in my eyes. We dated for three years. Um, you know, it, I never saw the warning signs. Uh, I never saw it coming. And then one day out of the clear blue, I felt his hand across my face. And from that moment on, my life was turned upside down. Um, I experienced mental abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse. I was broken. Uh, I was just existing. I wasn't living. I um, I was given up on life. I was given up on I, I was given up on my hopes and my dreams and my desires to achieve whatever God had placed within me. And uh, I was very depressed, I was suicidal. I was too ashamed and embarrassed. And I was so concerned about being judged by family and friends. So I dealt with it internally for a very long time. Felt that there was no way out, there was no place to go, no place to turn until one day I I built up the strength and the courage to open up and share with a relative who was living in Baton Rouge as well, attending Southern University. And she said to me, I believe you, I support you, I stand with you, and I have your back. And that's mm -hmm. all I needed to hear. And many times a victim needs to hear, needs to hear those words. They need that to help make that decision whether I stay or walk away. And my uh, cousin said to me, you're welcome to come and live with me as long as you would like. Uh, I will protect you. I will support you. I'm here for you. And I did. I went and I lived with her for a week because every day he came over saying that he was sorry. He apologized. It would never happen again. He would change. He would do something differently. He would go to counseling that he was the blame, not me. I didn't cause that. I didn't cause what was happening. And I believed him. And I went back. Statistics states, Leslie, that a victim will leave anywhere from one to seven times before they're gone. And I went back and everything was fine for two weeks. It was perfect. It was what it was before we found ourselves in this dark place. And I often blame myself for it 
victim blaming because I said I had to have done something to cause this because he, he loved me. He cared about me. He wanted to spend the rest of his life with me. We talked about getting married and having children once I graduated from college. And I know that this is not the man that I once knew. I caused this. And it took me forever to come to a place of no longer blaming myself for what was happening. It was him. It's, it's what he wanted. It's, he was who he was. I called him Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And um, I, he took me to dinner. He showered me with flowers and gifts and told me everything I wanted to hear. And I gave him a second chance. And it was the worst mistake I could have ever made. I went back to him. Things were good for two weeks, like I stated. And then one night we got into an argument, an altercation. It was physical. It was mental. It was emotional. And before you knew it, he had his hands around, around my neck. And he pinned me up against the wall and said, bitch, if you ever leave this house again, I will fucking kill you. Wow. So this was after you went with your, like to live with your cousin for that one week. Yes. yes. And I came back and it's, it's all about control, power, manipulating, mm-hmm. isolation and intimidation. That's exactly what it's about. Those are the five ingredients. That's mm-hmm. what it's about. And he was so angry. He was so mad. I saw myself dying at his hands. I looked into his eyes and I, and his eyes said to me, I will kill you Mm. if you ever leave this house again. And it's because he no longer had control over me that week I was gone from him. That's what it's about. It's about controlling your every move. It's about controlling your thoughts, your thinking. It's about controlling how you operate, how you live. It's all about control. And I had given up everything, everything that made me who I was. I had given that up. He had taken it from me. He was in control of my, who I spoke to, where I went, who I spent time with. If I went to visit family, it was all about him and him only. Now, how did that start, Tawana? Because, you know, I was talking to my daughter. My daughter's only 12 and... Mm -hmm you know, after the research that I was doing before our call and just looking at all the statistics and dating, you know, violent, like domestic violence through dating and just how it starts so small with you. Do you remember like, because I'm sure it wasn't from one day to the next that you weren't, you know, allowed to talk to this person or, you know, go here, go there. I mean, did it start, like you said, in a charming, very nice, I care about you way. Do you remember that? Yes, it, it was the little things that we have a tendency to overlook, like you just mentioned. It was, well, you know, I made plans for us to go to dinner, but I'm going to the movies with my girlfriend and we're going to dinner. But I made these plans for you, special plans for you. Can mm-hmm. you go with me instead of going with them? I would be heartbroken if you went with them and not me. So, and, and let me tell you, Leslie, I didn't know what it was until years later, after doing research and talking mm-hmm. to other people who had been where I'd been. The whole time it was about manipulation. It was about getting you away from your support system, 
getting you away from those who you love dearly and who loved you dearly and isolating you from them so they can have you all to themselves. I can remember one day he dropped me off at class and because he would drop me off to class and pick me up and he dropped me off. And when he picked me up, he said, you know, he asked, he said, who was that guy that you were speaking to? And I'm like, what guy? He could tell me what the guy had on and what the guy looked like. Oh, wow. So at the same time, he played it off like it was no big deal. Oh, that's a friend of yours. Oh, okay, good. But he was at the same time stalking me. Right. Every move from a distance, from a distance. Because he, he would drop me off, but he wouldn't leave campus. Because he watched me walk to class and who I engaged with. So, and, and when he said, I was 21, I was in love. I mean, I never thought anything of it when he would say that. Oh, he's just, he just, he's in love with me. He just wants right. to. He cares about me. He pays attention. He's, he's And then I'm good and he's my protector. He's protecting me. Right. We have a tendency to overlook. Well, especially when you're in love, you know, you have these blinders, you have the, you know, these imaginary glasses that only allow you to see certain things and kind of ignore or not even see the others. Yeah. And and in my mind, I would say, oh, he's just looking out for my best interest. He wants the best for me. And that's why he's so in tune to my every move, who I speak to, where I go, what I do, what I wear, how I dress, because he cares and loves me dearly. But it wasn't that at all. It was about controlling me and keeping me in my place and letting me know that, that, you know what, you have that dress on and you need to go and take that dress off because I don't like how it looks on you. And you, you look slutty. You look, like, mm. you look like a whore with that on. And okay, well, I don't want to present myself that way to anyone. You know, no. I'm with you. It's only for you to see in view, not anyone else. So let me go change this outfit. So it was those little things. Let me say this to you, Leslie. No one, no one has in my family um, has ever sat and had the conversation with me growing up. No one did. You know, usually the conversation went like this. You're going to college, you graduate, you get a good job and you get married. You <laughs> God to provide right. for you and your family and you have children and you live in the house you have this little house with a little white picket fence that's the, mm-hmm. that's what you were taught that's what we were taught yes but domestic violence was is very common in the black community okay and and it's real it's it's a it's been there for generations i remember this i was 10 years old and my sister and I would go, my aunt would babysit my sister and I for my mom from time to time. And we would go and stay over at her house overnight. And I'll never forget, my uncle beat my aunt, physically abused her while I was there and my sister. And I can hear her crying out for help. Wow. She was screaming at the top of her voice. Mm. Please don't hit me. Please stop. I didn't do anything. I remember those words like yesterday. And she came out the room and tears were running down her face. And he had hit her in the head with a gun. 
and she was bleeding. And I looked at my sister, we looked at each other. I was, I was 10, she was nine, or I was 11, and I was 12 and she was 11. I can't remember exactly the age. And we, looked, we gave each other a look. And that looked to me said, this is not right. Why is, she, why is she bleeding? Why is he hitting her? That's the question. The eyes, our eyes connected and, and our eyes spoke those questions. I knew it was wrong, Leslie, but I didn't know what it was called. I knew I didn't know the label to place on it, but it happened. It happened in so many households yeah. around us. But what happened was we spoke about it within our four walls and we never spoke about it outside our four walls. And my aunt left many times and went back. So domestic violence has always been part of our culture as a, as a community, as Black people, as African-Americans. You heard about it. But the difference today, Leslie, is we were silent then and we can no longer be silent now because women of color are dying every mm -hmm. day at a very high rate. And um, I went through it. I would say to myself, I'll never allow this to happen to me. Never allow this to happen to me. And it happened because I didn't see it coming. I didn't know what it was when it happened. And I'm gonna say like a survivor said to me before, I didn't run to domestic violence. I woke up in it. Hmm. And do you that's think that's the case for pretty much everyone? Yes, a good number of people wake up in it, Leslie. You don't know what the signs are. You don't see it coming. Or if you know that it's there, you, we have a tendency to look the other way or overlook it. Mm -hmm. Because once you acknowledge that it's there, you have to do something about it. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, some people don't know what to do about it, how to handle it, or what to do. And some folks just don't have a support system like I was blessed to have. Mm -hmm. A relative of mine, and then my coworkers and my boss. I shared with my boss what I had been through, and she said to me, "You will no longer go through this, not ever again. We are here for you." They rallied around me. We found a place for me to live. They furnished the apartment. They paid the first month rent. They put a security deposit down and they moved me in. Wow. Everyone don't such a gift. And angels, he sent angels my way who yeah. wrapped their arms around me and said, I am with you till the end. It's up to you when you get ready. Mm -hmm. And you know, Leslie, I wasn't ready to walk away from this. Because I loved him so much. I saw myself spending our life together. I saw us having children. I saw us living in this little house with a white picket fence, the perfect family. And I so hoped and prayed that change would come with him. And it never did. And when I made up in my mind to leave, I woke up one morning and that soft voice, subtle voice that spoke to me quite often when I was in this dark place said, today's the day you leave. Mm -hmm. 
And I said back to him, I said, are you serious? He said, yes. I said, I have nothing packed. It's not even planned. He said, today is the day. And I hugged him by, gave him a kiss like I normally do, and said to him, have a great day. I got in my car and I drove to a building that was across the street from where we lived, where I can see him get in his vehicle and leave. I immediately went back to our apartment and gathered my belongings. And what I couldn't take, I left behind. And I never went back. Regretted leaving now. It was hard. For three years, I was with him. He was my world. He was my life. He was my everything. All I knew was him. So how do I begin? Where do I start? Was a challenge. It was hard. And I fought against it many days. But that voice stayed with me, said, you have purpose in this. You will come out on the other side and you will speak for others. And three days later, I was at the gas station pumping gas. And there he was before me. Oh, my gosh. My head was down. And when I lifted my head up, and he said to me, so bitch, you thought I wasn't going to find you. I told you to never leave the house again and you left. And I told you if you ever left, I was going to kill you. Leslie, I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. Fear had crippled me. I was shaking within. My hands were sweaty. And all I can say without saying it was, Jesus, help me. Mm-hmm. Give me the words to speak. And there they came out of my mouth. The word said, if you're going to kill me, you might as well do it now because I will never return to you. Wow. And all he can do, Leslie, was get in his car and leave. Right. The control was, I mean, it was done. It was done. I had taken my power back. Wow. I couldn't handle it. And the journey began, Leslie, for me. The nights were long, were long. They were lonely. And I had a conversation with myself one evening. I lived in a studio apartment, but it was mine. It was my personal space where I can be and live and thrive. And I said to myself that night, I said, I will live again. It will take me some time. I said, I have to go and find Tawana. She's out there and I will rediscover my true identity in her. I bought me a journal and I began writing about it. It didn't make sense. The words were all over the place. (laughs) One day they all came together. I began volunteering at a local shelter, doing whatever I could to help that next woman get to a better place in her life. And my saying would always be, if he did it for me, he will do it for you. 
Mm. And I went back to school. I went back to the Southern University where it all began for me. I pledged a sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. I was the oldest person, oldest female online. I was 33 years old when I pledged Delta. And I was with my line sisters who I loved and adore still to this day. They loved me. They looked up to me. I was an inspiration to each and every one of them. And they said to me one night while we were sitting, they said, you know, Miss Harris, I said, please stop calling me Miss Harris. <laughs> right. Oh, good way to make you feel old, right? <laughs> yes. I said, we're on an equal playing field here. They <laughs> said, okay, Tawana, I said, you know, tell us about some of the challenges you've been through in your life. And the opportunity presented itself for me to share with them what I had been through. Because at that point, I was married. Um, I was living life. It just seemed like everything had, had always been so perfect in my life. And when I shared with them what I had been through, they were like, no way. You don't fit. The, you just don't fit the profile. I said, you know, there's no certain profile. I said, you know, the misconception is she, a victim is a woman of color, uneducated, lives in poverty, has several children, has several kids, um, codependent. But I said, I have news for you. That is so, that is the wrong profile. That is so not it at all. It could be anyone. It could be one of you sitting in this room, anybody at any given moment. So um, they asked me, they said, well, we do this program in honor of our sorrows who've lost their lives to domestic violence. And there's several say, would you share your story? I said, share my story. Are you serious? Publicly? Yes. Audience? Yes. I have to think about that one. I'll get back with you. Was that going to be the first time, Tawana, that you were going to share with, you know, anyone else other than people that you were like close with? Yes. Yeah. I was so nervous. I was very, I was skeptical. I was hesitant. I was reluctant to do so because I was so, so concerned with the shamefulness of it and being embarrassed and how people will view me now and see me. They see me as this, this woman who has it all together and she's fashionable and she's outspoken and she's a leader in her own right and she's phenomenal and everybody loves and adore her. And then if I share this other side of me that I've been through, this darkness and this, this ugliness that I've been through, how would they see me? And their right. voice, Leslie, saying, I did it for you. Now I need you to do it for someone. Mm. And I said, you know what? And I loved what you said when we spoke the other day. You said, you know, that day your story stopped being your own and it became about others. Yes. That night it did. The young lady came up to me when I shared my story. She said, Ms. Harris, you told my story tonight. She said, I was hopeless. I didn't know what to do, how to leave or, or stay. And I, I, I just didn't know if there was a way out. But she said, there is. 
And she said, I have hope and strength because of you. You've inspired me. And at that very moment, my story is no longer mine to hold on to is for someone else. And I began working in the trenches, grassroots trenches, meeting people where they are, because where they are is where they're hurting. And God gave me a vision five years ago to start this organization. And I was very, I was very specific in how I wanted this organization to be. I said, Father, I wanted to be grassroots. I wanted to be like no other. I said, I want us to meet those victims and survivors where they are. I said, this is not about me. This is not about this team. This is not about the people you're going to send our way. It's about you and your people that are hurting, that are in need. And it's ministry work, Leslie. That's exactly what it is. Oh, absolutely. It sure is. I mean, there's, there's no other, other name for it. For yeah. sure. so, because on paper, it's a nonprofit, true enough. But mm-hmm. it's ministry work. And I'll never forget this woman said to me one day, she said, she said, Miss Harris, she said, she was telling me her story. She said, I believed my abuser with all my heart that he would change. And change never came for me. Mm-hmm. And I made a decision to pack up and leave and never go back. And I never did. And she said, you know what? I need to start speaking my story because someone needs to hear it. I said, they do. Because there's so many out there, Leslie, who are living in the shadows of domestic violence. They're hopeless. They feel that there's no way out. They feel that they're alone in this and no one cares and no one has their backs. But I'm here to say differently today. The Butterfly Society has your back. We stand with you. We support you. We believe you. We will speak for you. And you're not alone in this. And what's so, what hurts my heart, Leslie, is that whenever I turn on the television, when I go to social media, there's another woman or man who have lost their lives to domestic violence. One of our goals with our organization is whenever someone has lost their life to domestic violence, we make it our business to visit with the family because we want to get to know the person. Who is she? Who was she? Or who was he? And we spend time with them and we get to know that person. We make a donation on behalf of the Butterfly Society to the family for whatever they need. If it's children that are in need of something or the family that's in need of something, if it helps with funeral expenses, we do that. But we keep them alive through our work, Leslie. We speak their name through our work. Because at the end of the day, Leslie, we know that it could be anyone. It could be anybody. It could be a friend a son, a daughter, a cousin, a co-worker, a colleague, a church member. It could be anybody. And it's our duty, it's our obligation to one another to help, serve, and speak for each other. Because sometimes we don't have the energy, the courage, the strength, or the voice to speak for ourselves. 
-hmm. And we need someone to do that for us. So that's what I do today. I speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Oh, I got chills just listening to, you know, such a powerful story. And I just can't help to think that, you know, the purpose of those three years of darkness were so much bigger. And I can only assume that, you know, it seemed like you were going through it for nothing. But let me tell you that what God is doing through you, you know, what, what I always say, what the enemy is trying to use for, you know, something bad, something negative, something terrible, ugly in your life. God's going to turn around if you allow him and he's going to create this beautiful, amazing masterpiece. And that's exactly what I'm hearing from you, Tawana. I'm hearing that, you know, although you experience something so dark and you didn't see a way out for so long, you know, you eventually got the courage. You you not only did, did God, I believe God speak to you, but you listened you know, because I think, you know, we, we all have free will. And yes. the fact that you chose to listen and take action, you know, that you chose to reach out to him that day, you know, when your abuser presented himself in front of you, which obviously was just to intimidate because they always say, you know, the bark is always louder. Yes. And at that point, you know, to take that power back. It's just, it's incredible to me because I've never experienced anything like this. I haven't known anyone personally that has shared all these details with me. So just to hear and, and the fact that, you know, who you were obviously before you met him and you're right, that's not who we picture. I mean, me coming from a Latina community, that's what we picture is exactly what you said in the back community. It's, you know, the lower income, you know, maybe Spanish speaking, not really someone that, you know, is out in the workforce that is, you know, educated, that's thriving in their life. We don't picture that. We picture, you know, the meek. We picture someone that maybe, you know, doesn't know any better, yeah. but it's not the case at all. Yeah. I mean, especially after hearing your story. And it happens across all race, mm -hmm. uh, educational background, economic background. There is no certain face to fit the profile. It could be anybody. And it, Leslie, I tell people all the time, I've met so, so many people, so many people over this journey. And I say to them all the time that, when you tell God that you are available to do whatever it is he has for you to do, he will do just that. Mm. And I made myself available. I committed myself to this. And when I say, Lord, use me as you see fit, send me wherever you need me to go. And wherever that is, I will go in your name and in your honor, because I know that there are people out here that are hurting, that are yeah. desperately crying out for help, desperately crying out for a way out, but just don't know how to do so. And the Butterfly Society, we, it's an all-volunteer-based all organization. We have people from all walks of life that belong to this organization. They've survived it. They've lost loved ones. They're retired. They're male, female, Hispanic, 
black, white, young, old, senior, middle age, students, college students, high school students, we are out here because we know that the work is so needed. And when I think of a butterfly, and I shared this with you the other day, I think about the stages that it goes through. You know, we always see the finished product, but you have to, you have to see the start, the starting product, and then see it through. You're in this cocoon, and when the organization name came together, I thought about a victim. I thought about myself and so many others where I was in that cocoon for a very long time, in that dark place, going through it, doubting myself, no longer loving myself, no longer having that self-confidence and that self-worth and self-love about me and deciding if I'm going to live or die. Just existing, just a body being here. That's where I was for a very long time until I got to stage two and said, you know what? I have purpose. I have a reason for living. This voice keeps speaking to me and I have someone who loves me, my relative who's offered her place up for me to come and stay. This is a way out. And then I found myself back there all over again in that dark place, in that cocoon again. And then God sent his angels again to my rescue. And I said, Lord, this is a way out. This is the final way out of this. And you're bringing me into the light. And you've sent your angels my way. And this is time, this is it's time for me to exit the cocoon and spread my wings and fly and rediscover my true identity and who I was meant to be, what my purpose was, my assignment here on earth. And my wings spread it. And when they spread, I was able to land and rediscover myself. And along the way, he brought so many other butterflies on this journey with me to do this work. And we're just getting started, Leslie. My prayers, our prayers collectively as a team, as an organization, is to take this on a national level. Wherever God presents the opportunity, we want to be there. Because somebody needs to hear this. Somebody needs to know that there's life after domestic violence. Somebody needs to hear that you're there. Where you are right now is not where God has destined for you to be. It's, a, it's only temporarily. It's only temporary. You're making a pit stop because he has something greater for you. There's something greater out there with your name on it. And you have to go through this to get to where he's sending you. And you're not going to be alone on this journey. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you every step of the way. But you have to believe it. You have to receive it. You have to claim it. And you got to move. You got to move in order to find out what that is. And I made a decision to move. And I'm excited I mean, I'm so excited. We celebrated five years. We had a great painting the city purple. We do a whole month of events. 
in our great city of Baton Rouge. And we're able to reach the masses. And when I tell you all monies, all funding, all donations, sponsorship that's brought into the organization goes back out into the community to provide temporary lodging, rental assistance, utility deposit, clothing, bus passes, gas cards, plane tickets, you name it, we do it. And we have such um, a broad um, array of partners who partner with us. Our, our mayor of the city of Baton Rouge, our great city of Baton Rouge, our mayor, our beloved mayor, Sharon Weston Broom is a partner of ours. She believes in the work that we do. She sponsors our events. She partners with us. We have law enforcement. We have faith-based communities. We have universities and colleges that partner with us. We have other nonprofit organizations who partner with us. We ask that your audience go to our website, thebutterflysociety.org, and you can see all the great work that we're doing in the city of Baton Rouge and surrounding areas. We are on fire. And we're not, we pray that we're not going anywhere. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask you, you know, for you to share that vision. So thank you for sharing, because I know when you shared it with me, with me the other day when we spoke, I got chills because you're like, you know, we want to go to Chicago. We want to go to New York. We want to go everywhere. And you're right. You know, this this issue, it's not central to just your city or my city. I mean, unfortunately, it's everywhere. It's, you know, in the States, it's outside in different countries. And, and just to be able to give that support, that listening ear that you know what you can, you know, the same thing you heard that, that first time you left, that gave you that courage, you know, to leave someone believing someone, you know, just hearing you out. And to be able to do that. And not only are you doing that from what you're telling me and for uh, when, I, when I was doing my research on the organization is that you guys are taking action. Yes. It's not just, yes, we're here for you. It's let me show you. Yeah. Yes. That's true. You know, we, whenever session is in, we we're at, we're in session. We're at the Capitol. We're at the house of representatives. We at the Senate chambers, you know, we're busy. We're making it our business to change the narrative that's been written for so long. Our governor, Governor John Bell Edwards, has been a strong advocate. Uh, He is um, a fighter on the front line when it comes to domestic violence laws and victims and families and making certain that they are protected, that they have the resources and services and programs that are in place. we have, we have come a ways as a state when it comes to domestic violence laws, but we still have a ways to go. And we are on the battlefield. We're consistent. We're determined. And we keep pressing forward to make certain that Louisiana cannot afford to continue to be second in the nation. Second in the nation in 2018, 50 plus related homicides in the state of Louisiana alone. And let me say this to you. Our governor predecessor before him, oh my goodness, we had eight years of him. He closed 
shut down so many shelters in the state of Louisiana, and he slashed so many DV programs and DV services. We have 64 parishes in our state. We only have 13 shelters. Wow. Is that why you believe that that your state became number two because of? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. If, if these victims don't have anywhere to go, any, you know, any, anyone to reach out to, I mean, they're going to have to stay. It's like, they have to remain where they are. Uh, yeah. So the fight is an everyday fight. And, mm-hmm. you know, let's say everybody looks at October, it rolls around once a year, and it's October is National Domestic Violence Month. Okay. But I often remind folks domestic violence is 365 days a year. It's not only in October. And I have a shirt on today that states change the culture. And the hashtag on the back says DV365. We can't get stuck in our mind set that domestic violence only happens in October. No, it happens 365 days a year. And what are you doing about it 365 days a year? What are you doing? Are you having the conversation with your circle of friends? Are you having the conversation on at your job? Are you having the conversation at your church? Are you having the conversation at your hair salon? Are you having the conversation, period, that domestic violence is taking the lives of so many women and men that we must, as a community, as a state, as a country, as a city, as a town, fight continues, my love. The fight Absolutely. continues. Now, question before we finish off where and I have an idea but I don't even know if this if it's right where do you think as an individual anyone who's listening can start I mean what I was thinking as you were speaking was you know just having that conversation opens up the doors for anyone that's possibly experiencing domestic violence to just say something and maybe it begins there but I mean I want to you know I want to hear what you have to say about that I, this 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 is a going line for us as an organization. If you see something, say something. If you know something, do something. To do nothing is unacceptable. Absolutely. It makes you part of the problem, not the solution. Mm-hmm. So where you start is educating yourself, researching domestic violence, what it looks like. What is the warning signs? What, what do I do if I cross paths with the victim of domestic violence. Start there. Once you've educated yourself, then you can educate others. Your children about dating abuse in middle school, high school, and on college campuses. What are the warning signs of dating abuse? What what you should tell your young girls and young boys? What Then once you educated your family, your circle of friends, Go out into the community and educate elsewhere. If it's at your church, we do coffee and conversation. It's that simple. Pastries and coffee, sitting around the table, having a conversation. It's, th- it's not complicated. Right. You it, can usually, it usually isn't, right? We just, I think it's all up in our heads that we think it's That's right. something so That's difficult, right. but it's not at all. It's simple. It's simple. Just talk about it. Just talk about it. Become an advocate. Donate. Donate your money. 
to local organizations that's doing this work. Volunteer with a local organization within your city. You, everybody can be doing something, but to be doing nothing is unacceptable because at any given moment, it could be you or it could be your daughter or your son or someone that you love dearly. It will land on somebody's doorstep someday. And when it does, what are you going to do? And not waiting till that moment, right? Yes. Like, don't wait. Don't. I mean, I was reading one of the statistics that impressed me the most was the fact that 20 people experience, you know, it's that intimate partner physical violence every minute. Yes. I mean, when I read that, it, it shocked me because I've never really, you know, again, when, and it, and it sucks and it's terrible saying this, but when you haven't had anyone close to you experience this, it kind of hasn't forced you or hasn't inspired you in a way to go and do the research and, and read the statistics. And, you know, it's, it was impressive. It was just shocking because I do have a daughter. I do have two sons. I do have sister. You know what I mean? I have so many people that I love. And number one, to me, it was like, okay, who has experienced this that I, that I have no clue about? Because if 20 people each minute go through this, I have to know someone that might possibly be going through this. Number one, number two, you know, what can I do? So the people that I love know that I'm here if they're going through it. Or like I said earlier, talk to my daughter. I didn't even think about talking to my son until I was doing some of the, you know, my son, some of the research that men obviously experience domestic violence as well. We always think of women. So it's just, oh yeah, it's, it's crazy. Also, you know, just because it's not your reality, Mm -hmm. Maybe domestic violence is not your reality, but I, I'm willing to bet you somebody in your circle is going through it. Yeah. So positioning yourself, becoming proactive about it, you could be that voice that that person needs to speak for them. Yes. It's no reason why you can't get involved just because it's not happening to you right now mm-hmm. or someone, you love. but you never know. when it it could be. So become proactive about it. Get involved. Get ahead of this. It doesn't require a lot. It doesn't take much. You just got to get up and do it. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Tawana. Gosh, number one, you opened up my eyes. I'd love to come to Chicago and visit. If you can make that happen, we're on the next train, (laughs) next train, anywhere. I'm going to pray for that because I would love to... Somehow, I mean, whether it's me or whether it's someone that's listening, you make or to kind of help with the vision that you have of making this nationwide. Because when you shared that with me, the reason I got chills is because like, I, I did not know that, you know, when I reached out, I mean, I literally just emailed you via your website, you know, the butterfly society.org. And did I know that you were going to respond? I was like, well, you know, I, I emailed a couple. I said, hopefully someone responds. I want to do an episode on this topic. And lo and behold, you were like, yes. And, you know, I'll be honored. And I was like, shut up. Like, you know, you yeah. responded. So, I mean, just thank you for your time. And if someone is interested, Tawana, in partnering with you somehow and making, you know, that bigger vision of your organization somewhat possible, 
I mean, would they just email you at the butterfly society.org? Yes. Email us at the butterfly society at gmail.com. Okay. They can go to our website, the butterfly society.org, or they can contact me directly at 225-347-7725. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It- Oh my gosh, you guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Perfectly Imperfect. I hope you truly enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends and family. Make sure you rate the episode and the podcast and also make sure you leave a review. Thank you again so much for listening to Perfectly Imperfect.